what's going on, guys? Welcome to episode two of the Read and Retire podcast. Uh, you got Dave here. We got Lando again. Um, this is going to be a special episode, I think. Um, a few weeks ago, we did episode one where we had a chance to talk about uh, some prerequisites to building wealth, budgeting and savings primarily. Um, and we kind of talked about why budgeting and saving was just so fundamental to being able to uh, acquire the kind of wealth that we need. You got to start somewhere. It's like college. Like uh, before you want to get into your major, you got to learn some basics. So um, there's always prerequisites to everything in life. And for us, budgeting and savings was a huge one. So make sure you go check out episode one if you haven't already. Um, but as people begin to build the, uh, you know, their savings up, um, I thought today it would be a great time to kind of talk a little bit about the world of finance and primarily how to invest. Um, how the rich invest their savings and money to build wealth. And I thought, who better to invite onto our podcast so early on than somebody who I consider like a master investor himself, um, our special guest, Roshan Joshi. Um, Crypto Poppy. <laughs> AKA Crypto Poppy. Yeah, they gotta know. Um, and so in a few moments, I'm gonna have him actually like introduce himself, kind of give us his background and just like, overview of like his where he came from and where he's worked and stuff but um he's just been a, a very near and dear friend to me um and uh he's obviously in the world of finance himself um has and has extensive um experience in that space so i thought it would be a great time to be able to talk about investments and he'd be the perfect person to do it so i uh, just want to start off by having him introduce himself and his background and provide a just a little overview of, of kind of who he is and what he's done yeah, tell him where you came from <laughs> so, so um, I mean, starting it, you know, way back, um, you know, my, my grandparents came over uh, from, from India back in, you know, early, early 90s. Um, and so it was kind of your, your classic uh, immigration story, right, where, you know, you come over with not, not much in your pocket and, and you just try to, um, you know, really kind of grind it out, hard work and, and kind of grit to, to get some type of, of wealth. And so I think he started out in a convenience store. That was his first job. Um, oh, like kinda, working there? Like yeah, uh, working at a convenience oh, wow. store. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that's not easy, right? Coming over, barely knowing the language and then starting at a, at a convenience store and trying to create some wealth for yourself. But, you know, through just hard work and, and grit, um, eventually got enough wealth to, to kind of buy his own convenience store. Uh, and then from there, you know, the, the ball just kept rolling um, and started going into motels at that point. You know, we got like a, a super small, you know, Motel 8 off the off the highway, you know, that super shady, but you got to start somewhere, right? Um, and then from there, you know, just kind of kept upsizing and upsizing until, you know, we, we got to, you know, Hampton Inn and, and Wingate Inn, a couple other properties like that. Um, so I've been really fortunate uh, to, to kind of see that journey and, and kind of follow that entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, that's kind of what, what got me to, to where I am today. But that's kind of the, the family background um, to give you, I guess, more of the, the background on myself. Um, so I, I met Dave in college. I was fortunate enough to, to attend BC and was fortunate enough to, to meet Dave our, our freshman year um, and have been you know, super close ever since, uh, which, I, which I'm very thankful for. And Lando, um, I was actually able to meet through Dave. So I mean, it was kind of a two, two for one, which was which yeah. is you know, even even better. Yeah, um, it was great, man. Um, so yeah, I went, went to BC, majored in, in finance and, and economics, a double concentration. Uh, and then out of college, I um, actually got a job at Citigroup in their investment banking division uh, in New York. So um, ended up interning there the summer uh, before I graduated, and then took that full time offer and, and worked there full time. Um, for about two years, uh, close to two years, and it was not easy. Let me let me tell you that I'm sure you know. I've told stories to to Dave before. It was it was a grind. Um, the the amount they put you through, but what you learn out of it, I think, is you know incredible. Um, and I would not trade that experience for for anything right now. Happy I did it. Um, and so that was investment banking for about two years, and then I wanted to do something different. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to get a position. Uh, as a venture capital kind of investment associate. Um, so to give you the, the high level of, of that, what that is and, and what we do, um, we essentially take uh, capital from you know, huge institutions and, and high net worth, net worth individuals, uh, and we'll invest it into private software companies. So our focus is specifically enterprise software, 
uh, and growth stage enterprise software. So companies that sell software to other companies or businesses, whether it be you know mom and pop shops all the way up to huge enterprises. Um, and so our goal is to you know invest that that money, help those companies grow, um, and then eventually you know they'll get acquired or they'll go public. And that's kind of when we get our exit. Uh, and the goal is you know to get three x our our money uh, in three to five years. And that's kind of where I'm at today, and, and that's kind of the the investing skill set I've picked up along the way through those through those experiences. I remember I remember I used to see Rosh like every once in a while in the streets of New York. Well, I think it was maybe one time, and. I, when you used to work for City, I, yeah. I, I, I used to like hang out around, like you know, ask the place a lot. So I remember I saw you once, and then you looked so exhausted. Yeah, like, yeah, man. Like I, I just dapped you up, and I was like, I can't have a conversation <laughs> with this man. I, I gotta let him that. go home. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. That was like seven, like seven days a week, like eighty to hundred hour weeks, yeah. and like yeah, I ran into you, and I was like, I just need and he to, does to get it with sleep. no coffee. <laughs> right? You used to never. I used to never drink coffee. You used to but, never drink coffee. But I mean, that changed after after I started working for a couple months. I, I can't. Agree. I can't survive <laughs> off uh, off of just sleep. A lack of a lack of sleep. But yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, those tough times. But like I said, man, I think the skill set you get out of those you know two years in banking, I think that'll that'll take you far. Um, and so um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Obviously, you know, you lose uh, two years of your life, your social life, and, and it's tough to keep up your kind of personal relationships uh especially with the time commitment but you know you got to do it um i feel like I, I wouldn't trade it for anything no much respect much respect yeah. that was. <laughs> and, and would you say that's the reason why you got into the world of finance in the first place um just because of what you can learn i think um there's two like and not to be like a blanket statement but i think a lot of times when a lot of kids especially from bc they may not know what they want to do but they want to acquire a good skill set that's marketable in the workplace. They usually go banking or consulting. Not saying that's the reason you did banking, but um, was the opportunity to learn a determinate, determining factor in why you chose like banking? Or? Yeah, I think, I think you kind of nailed it 100%. Because um, like coming out of college, you're a 22-year-old and just you know, bright-eyed, no idea you know, what is out there and what you're passionate about and what... Uh, you can also build wealth doing, right? So I think investment banking is just one of those jobs that just opens up so many doors for you. And it kind of gives you time to figure it out. While at the same time, while you're kind of in the background figuring out what you're passionate about, what you want to do next, you're also building this like financial skill set and toolkit that is just like so valuable. Like you can take it anywhere and, and it will like, it will pay off, you know, in, in miles. So uh, that's like the main reason. Uh, it's not really knowing what I wanted to do, but knowing, you know, this job will keep many doors open for me and it'll give me a great skill set to, to kind of make it to the next level of, of wealth creation and, and help me out in my career, you know. That's very inspirational. And um, it's funny because I actually remember uh, our senior year when, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember like when I was with you when you signed your offer in O'Neill. So that was like pretty <laughs> special. And I think the, cra the crazy part about it as well, in addition to like the, a lot of the things that you can learn is also... Um, the opportunity to start, I think, building wealth for yourself at an early age. Um, because I think when you're 22 years old, um, that is probably one of the most high paid positions that you can probably find yourself in. Um, and so um, I guess like a two, kind of two-pronged question for you as we kind of like talk a little bit about um, the world of finances. Um, how much for you um, was spending time in banking um, very key to you helping to build like the financial foundation that you have today um and then like what's one of the biggest things like you kind of noticed um other people you know maybe some of your managers some high net worth people in your um circle kind of do with the money that they were getting or uh with the way that they spent or invested that yeah so i think it definitely played a role i'd be lying if i said it didn't play a role the actual the compensation, the financial kind of base that investment banking would would give me, it definitely played a role in, in why I chose that um, why I chose that position. Obviously, the the base is solid, but then the bonuses they give you are like just these huge lump sums of, of cash. And a twenty you know two year old kid out of school, like you just don't know what to do with it. And so this job would not only kind of give you the capital, but then it would also teach you how to really evaluate businesses and how to invest that money because now you understand how businesses operate and why do they do well, right? So it, it was kind of two-pronged in that. I was, you know, I got the capital and I started to learn how to, how to deploy it, which is awesome at such a young age. 
um, which is amazing because the younger you start, like just the bigger the payoff is, like exponentially, right? Because if you start investing early, you start getting returns and you start reinvesting those returns. And that's massive compared to someone who started you know, 20 years later. That's so many years of compounding, you know, returns and reinvestment that they missed out on. Um, and not to cut you off, but before you, before you continue, um, for those people who might not know, could you do like a quick high level what an investment banker does? Yeah, of course. I should have I should have clarified that. That's a good good question. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of you know not really transparency around investment banking and finance in general. So I think it's a good a really good point to kind of hit what all this stuff is, what it means, so many acronyms and all that. But investment banking at, at a high level is you're providing M&A advisory, M&A meaning mergers and acquisitions, um, <laughs> to companies, right? So what you're doing is if they want to sell themselves or division or if a company wants to buy another company, we come in and we'll do a ton of analysis to kind of give them a reason why they should pay X price for the company and what it will do for them, right? There's synergies. There's a lot of cost savings and revenue expansion opportunities if you can buy company right that's why mergers exist that's why salesforce acquired slack that's why all these these acquisitions happen so we come in and we understand both companies business models how they work and how they would look like combined together that's kind of the, the main uh role of, of an investment banker oh yeah the second part of the question um was just um you know how, what and like what's one of the biggest things you've kind of seen you know as we kind of tie up um your background in the investment banking space like what's probably one of the biggest things you've noticed like a lot of your peers or colleagues doing in that space with the money that they get? Like, how do high net worth individuals actually think um, about money in that way? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think that's one I'm trying, I'm also figuring out myself. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm kind of kind of new to, to the space and, and dealing with, you know, people who have created just an insane amount of wealth already. Um, I think one idea that we've kind of touched on before is investing in private markets. So investing in companies that are not public right private companies um it's not easy to kind of gain access to to those companies because one you need capital a meaningful amount of capital usually you know i think 100k maybe lower than that depending on how early stage the company is um and you need experience you need to be able to offer these companies something they're not gonna kind of take your money and give you equity in in them if you're not going to be able to show them how to grow and how to you know make it to the next level of their development so that's that's one area I, I see them doing is, is getting into private market investing. Um, another that you know we kind of talked about a ton in, in reading retired podcasts is just being smart with your money um, and, and just being careful where where you're spending. It's just so unnecessary to to spend on certain you know luxury items and, and just I these guys are just I don't. Know, uh, miserly stingy is probably the wrong word, but just very careful, you know, about, yeah, about where they're putting <laughs> we, their money. We don't use the word cheap here. It's, <laughs> just, it's just, they're frugal, like you said, right? Yeah, exactly. They're just very careful about it. Um, and, and they've, you know, that's how they've been their whole lives, it seems like. For for example, to give you a, a quick uh, a quick tangent, you know, my grandpa obviously has done decently well for himself um, over the years. And, you know, you know, ran a couple of hotels, sold a couple of hotels. And at, even today, you know, this guy shops at Target, gets his clothes at Target. He every anytime I'm out, like spending a dollar, he'll be like, well, you know, what are you doing? Do you really need that? Um, he's told me to move to Jersey so I can you know, save money on rent. <laughs> Shout out to Jersey. <laughs> Shout out to Jersey. No. Got to stay where um, they, all, all the young uh, women are. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. That's right. That's, That's right. Move. New York Jersey, Jersey has some too, I'm sure. What? Jersey has some too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's you know even even you know a man like that is just he's created you know, a good amount of wealth in his day, but he's still you know very careful about where he where he spends his money. Um, I I think that those that's huge. Um, like we'll definitely get into the private market piece later t in in the in the episode. I feel like that's something that I'm very interested in. Um, because I think most people only really know about the public market. Like, uh, obviously, you know, like, buy it. Like, a lot of times people will be like, ah, oh, you know, we can invest in just buying stock or shares in a company that has already gone public. But it's like, I think a lot of the wealth is built from some of those private investments. Um, and then I think it was also cool just hearing about, like, uh, your grandfather and, like, his mentality and even some of the other people who are in your circle, their mentality is to just kind of uh, 
be frugal and safe with their money and to always think about it. I think in the, it's funny because I think in the um, book club, the main thing, the, the way like uh, Trench, Scott Trench puts it in For Set For Life, he's like, he's like, you know, every time you're thinking about making a purchase, ask yourself, are you willing to delay your financial freedom for that? And I feel like that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the, to kind of tie back into like the family piece of things, because um, I feel like we've heard a lot about your background. Um, can you talk about how um, your grandfather's like entrepreneurial spirit and the entrepreneurial spirit of your um, family from going from like a, you know, working at a convenience store to owning one, which I think is huge too because um, a lot of times um, we, like a lot of times when it comes to like um, the building wealth stage, a lot of times people don't focus on the things that they're good at. And so it was kind of cool that he started learning the conven- convenience store business and then jumping into it mm-hmm. straight up. Um, and so could you talk about how that has kind of shaped your mindset when it comes to building wealth, just being around so many people who had an entrepreneurial spirit? And the final thing that I'll say um, is I think that that's phenomenal because uh, my parents were in the same boat as yours, except uh, they kind of went into the bucket of like, you know, work hard, try and save your money. And of course, different circumstances with them, like having not gone to college and um, with them also um, having like, uh, you know, five kids. But I think the idea of like working hard, you know, keep your head down, do it for 40 years and you'll have enough to retire versus like thinking about entrepreneurship um, has been huge. So yeah, I'd love to just hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I feel like the, the, like one of the biggest takeaways that I got kind of from my family background, my grandpa, my, my dad, my parents, um, is just being really proud of kind of owning something and owning your own kind of destiny and creating wealth yourself. Um, Because even at this stage, I'm sure there's so many people out there that uh, would be more than happy to kind of sit on on their their toes and just kind of relax while they know, you know, they have a hotel, they have some type of assets in their family Mm -hmm. uh, and just kind of taking it easy and waiting for that to be passed down to them. But I think it's just me watching my parents kind of struggle and watching them build wealth uh, from nothing. Yeah, like it, it... motivates you to to do the same and to like to be so proud of building it yourself um as opposed to you know kind of creating wealth for for others or or as opposed to just you know not not leeching off but you know just uh uh inheriting wealth you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and then uh from this is kind of something i thought about but from the educational standpoint um how big was like education both i want to say from the academic side like school growing up and then also from, I want to say like business acumen, because if you're, I think one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people who are entrepreneurs is you don't really know what you don't know. And if you're starting something from scratch, like how does a person even learn about opening up a convenience store or learn about trading that up into a hotel? What was their um, educational process like and how did that, how did they um, instill those within you, if, if at all? Like maybe they, you know, maybe for them it was more, you should focus on academia than you know, entrepreneurial knowledge? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting, interesting question. Um, so I think it's kind of the, the latter where, you know, my mom, my parents have always been so focused on me just getting a good education. And so that's kind of what I've been so focused on, on doing and, and building that and then going from there and getting a good job that I've never been super exposed to the, you know, the real ownership side of things of starting something, you know, going to, to a bank, getting to that loan to, to buy a convenience store, to buy a, a hotel. So I don't, I don't have a ton of that knowledge, um, which is unfortunate. It's something I should, I should absolutely kind of spend more time trying to, trying to learn about and ask my parents how they do it. Cause they, you know, they, I think they kind of just took a leap of faith when, when they did it back, uh, you know, that 20 years ago or so, um, and just hoped that it would work out. And, you know, things kind of did. I don't think they really had any formal education uh, a real formal training on on how to you know create your own business, how to get a loan and and expand your your business. So, yeah, it's a it's a good point and and something I think I should I should probably learn more about from them. I think that was just like a very fascinating uh, upbringing and being able to hear about the stories from your your parents and uh, your grandparents and also about well, how you've been able to translate that into your new work. Um, I would love to kind of jump to uh, the investing side of things, if that's okay. Um, because I think one of the big things, especially coming out of episode one, right, we talked about like budgeting and savings. How is it that we think about 
what are those prerequisites, things we need to do before we start actually investing. We talked a little bit about actually having a budget, figuring out how much money you want to save. Once you have that saved, I think the big thing people always want to talk about is like, okay, where do I actually put the money that I'm saving? Like, what do I invest that in? Mm -hmm. um, and so I want to start off by figuring out uh, what's your philosophy around investing or how do you approach investing your money? Yeah, so um, at this point, unfortunately, um, I need to clear every kind of stock transaction that, that I purchase, buy or sell with my company. And that could be kind of a process uh, as, you know, our people at the firm are so busy and not, don't always take the time to, you know, look at these types of emails and clear these transactions. So I find it just easier to uh, invest more in index funds at this point. Um, and so that's what I've been focused on. Um, so to, to give you kind of the percentage breakdown, I would say of all, you know, kind of the, the net worth, if you will, um, 75%, I would say is in uh, either S&P 500 or similar type index funds. So um, for the audience, what is an index fund? <laughs> you know? so, so an index fund um, is essentially a, a collection of a bunch of kind of stocks that, that track an index like the S&P 500. Uh, so it's just made up of, of a bunch of different types of companies. Um, so that's my, my main philosophy on investing right now is you know, heavy, heavy on U.S. equities. Um, so that, that's kind of what I'm focused on. And then the other 25%, you know, I think I have a little bit in, in real estate investment trusts. Um, uh, don't ask me too much about that because I don't know, I don't know details on, on how those work, but it's essentially investments in, in real estate. Um, and then the other, you know, whatever percent's left is, is kind of the liquid cash that I have on hand just in case, you know, any, any circumstances go wrong, whatever you need, some type of cash. Or if you're going to go out. And you don't make it rain somewhere. You need to have just cash on hand usually. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe I need to up those numbers in case. Uh, I mean, uh, it depends yeah. how much you're trying to. <laughs> I think I most people have fun with at least yeah, $500 in cash. Yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, percentages <laughs> is what it all yeah, is. Yeah, like, that's uh, maybe like half of a day. <laughs> Four hours at the office. <laughs> but, um. No, I think that that's pretty cool. And I think a lot of people have so many different investment philosophies. You know, Orlando is uh, is bu is very bullish on AMC right now. Yo, 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 yo. <laughs> Put on, no, no, so don't call it bullish, all right? This is this is, this is is a very tactical move, all right? I'm not relying on anything. We're just going to the moon, all right? We're making preparations. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's an interesting one, AMC. I, uh... I'd be curious to hear the investment the investment thesis on that from, from anyone. But Man, I'm relying uh, on... Um, people just like me, you know, dumb people just like me holding <laughs> on forever. So we could just literally, that's the thesis. Yeah. And then, you know, when they're not paying attention, you sell it off. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's probably one way to do it. I'm, I'm sure, sure that's work. the move, right? Yeah. You tell them to hold it and then and you then sell you quietly. Yeah. Just don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys still holding it right. You were, uh, up, like 40, you were up like 40%. Uh, yeah. No, I was up higher. I was up 60. Oh wow. Three. Yeah. I was up like 60. You, you still, still, still holding? I am still holding. Diamond hands, baby. Diamond hands. Diamond yeah. hands. <laughs> Until you get to a good, uh, a nice, you know, gain. Then you're like, Until right, that Black Widow movie comes out. Oh. We're going to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, but no, that's a, I think that was a good philosophy. And I think, um, for the most part, like everyone is pretty much doing the same. I think at a base level, like having the index funds, like kind of locked up and then, thinking about some strategic moves. If it is AMC, it's AMC or anything <laughs> else that you yeah. kind of know a lot about that you believe in. Um, mm -hmm. what, what advice would you give to a first time investor who may not have much, much money, much capital, who's looking to invest? Yeah, I would say, I mean, two things is number one is, you know, got to start uh, creating that, that wealth and, and coming up with some capital. So number one is, you know, get to a, a good spot where you, you, know, you have a job that's bringing in income and you're keeping your expenses low. And then whatever that, that delta is, you know, start, start investing it. And the second thing is obviously, you know, you need to do some research on, on what investment strategy kind of makes sense for you. Uh, so I would say, you know, talk to people you know that, that have done it before, um, people that, that have invested in, in stocks, bonds, whatever it might be, and that can give you some type of advice. Uh, or just do your research online. You know, that's kind of partially what I did as well. I mean, I talked to my brother. I talked to, to friends in the space. Uh, and I did my own research online just to find out what, you know, what is an index fund? What's a mutual fund? What's the difference between an option and a, a public equity, you know? Um, and so just having that, that mindset of, of 
you know, I'm willing to go and do the research and talk to people, I think it's huge. And the earlier you start that, as I was saying earlier before, you know, that that pays off like a ton in, in the long run. Um, so yeah, you gotta, gotta start, you know, get a good job, get that, get an income stream to, to start investing and then do the, do your research. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's powerful because I think, um, I often say this, but like, and it's funny cause we're talking about net worth today, but I, you know, I often say like your network is your net worth and the people who you hang around, the things that they do start to infiltrate and circulate within your own life. And so I think it's important to be around people who you can talk to about investing, talk to them about um, these things because it just helps to increase your knowledge base and being able to do um, your own research. Um, and I think uh, one of the easiest ways I think is always like taking a look like what you said, like what you kind of hinted at. It's kind of like the market. Um, if you want to put your dollars to work nowadays, like you don't even need to buy whole shares. You can buy fractional shares. You can mm -hmm. start small. You can invest in companies that you believe in. It's just a matter of doing your research in, into those um, industries and. Um, I think, um, for me, uh, before, like we kind of end off on this section, one question that I wanted to ask you was what are kind of like some, some industries or sectors that you've been paying a lot of attention to? Um, I know you invest kind of very widely in just like, ev like almost everything, as long as it's a huge U S equity, like a top company, mm -hmm. but, um, what industries would you or sectors would you say people should be like taking a hard look at as they look to the future? Yeah. So, um, I think so myself, I think like enterprise software, I think is a super interesting space, right? Because you're, you're customer based, you're not selling to consumers who can be so fickle, like you have no idea what, what the next trend is, what if TikTok's going to last, you don't know what people are going to enjoy and how long it's going to last. Um, so I think enterprise software companies like, like Microsoft who has consumer and enterprise divisions, um, terms like Oracle, SAP, you know, Salesforce, um, they are all, you know, in that enterprise SaaS space, and I think have, have shown that they can grow, they can retain clients, and, and do extremely well. So I think that space is very interesting, and that's also kind of what I do, you know, in venture capital. So I mean, that's a biased answer, obviously. Synergies, I, though, you you're yeah, investing exactly. in what you know. That exactly. Sense. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that space is super interesting. Apart from that, and um, I always thought electric vehicles are are pretty cool and interesting. Um, Tesla, obviously, being kind of the leader in that space now. Uh, but it's super interesting to see, you know, one, there's one investor that was in the big short, if, if you know that movie that mm -hmm. just took a huge, um, kind of short position in, on Tesla, uh, which just means that he's betting against the stock, you know, he thinks it'll go down. I think that's super interesting. Um, cause you know, so many companies are now developing their own electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. Tesla's not going to be the only one. And so time will tell, you know, everyone thinks Tesla is the greatest company that are ahead of the game, but who knows if, you know, Ford, if Mercedes, BMW, if they're going to just create a better version of, of what Tesla has and maybe make it cheaper, right? I don't know. And maybe that's probably what this guy's thinking. So I think that's another space just to, to look at. It's just so interesting to see. Um, then obviously, you know, crypto is another, uh, another space that's super volatile and, and can give you some, some gains, but that's one that Dogecoin, <laughs> Dogecoin Doge is yeah. the moon. Yeah. You and Dogecoin AMC, you got a, a, a volatile portfolio. Bro, <laughs> you telling me, son, <laughs> I can lose it all tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I like the attitude. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, uh, I kind of would, would say that crypto is, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet your, your life savings on it, but it could be interesting to, to play with. Right, this is coming from the crypto popping. <laughs> right. All right, a few weeks ago, I, I, I think it was a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago. Um, it was a few, like maybe yeah, it, was, it was way, but it was like probably early on, like in February. Yeah, yeah February. it was, it was a while ago. Um, he did a crypto one one video. It's on Instagram and YouTube. You guys should probably check it out. He's the most knowledgeable person I know that doesn't own any crypto. <laughs> <laughs> probably, he's the, probably the smartest person I know who, about crypto who doesn't own any crypto. So, so um, it's definitely a good watch, so make sure you guys watch that. Yeah, if you're interested in learning about it, we did it on one of our book club sessions, had him come on as a guest speaker to talk about crypto. And we'll talk about crypto later on to kind of wrap up the session too, but um, when it comes to investing. But yeah, definitely check out that video if you haven't before. Um, and then... I would love, not since we're talking about investing, I would actually love to talk about the flip side of investing. You kind of brought it up earlier with a little bit of like um, some private market stuff, but having people invest in you. Um, and so one of the best ways to scale your business, we, all, we talk about this a lot, but it's kind of like using other people's money. Mm -hmm. um, OPM. Yeah, OPM, other people's money. And so when looking to grow your business with other people's money or capital, I think there's a lot of terms people kind of throw around. They use like, you know, angel investing, seed funding, venture capital, private equity. Um, 
Could you talk about what the traditional capital raising process is like for someone looking to leverage other people's money to grow their business? And I know that's like might be like a loaded question, um, but if you could also think about it from the perspective of like maybe minority-owned businesses, because I feel like they've especially don't really get access to that kind of capital a lot. Mm -hmm. um, what is that traditional process like? Like, how does someone start if they wanted to? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so I, I'll focus kind of on the the seed and angel stage. I think that's probably the most relevant as opposed to like, you know, private equity is just much later on when you, you kind of establish your company and you're growing well, you have stable cash flows. But uh, sticking just to kind of that, that seed angel investment, kind of when you're just getting your idea off the ground, building a product, um, I think you're absolutely right that some minority-owned businesses might not, you know, immediately have that ability to, to call that capital and to get that capital. Um, and so I'm seeing a couple things that are interesting. One is, you know, a lot of venture capital funds are, are raising funds for that purpose, which is to invest in minority-owned um, businesses and startups, which is amazing. Uh, just kind of being focused on that one kind of strategy, I think is great. Um, but then kind of going off of that, I would say, you know, what that process looks like if you're kind of a, a business owner looking to, to raise money. Um, number one, I think your network, as you kind of mentioned before, is, is huge, right? Hopefully, you know, you can reach out to not only people you know, but people just on LinkedIn or other platforms that have done what you're doing, who have built a business, who are, you know, minority, have gone through kind of the, the struggle of, of raising capital and, and building a business from nothing. I would imagine they'd be more than, than willing to, to talk to you. You know, if you reach out cold and just say, you know, hey, I would just love to, to catch up and just talk about, you know, the process, what it, what, what it looked like for you. How did you find investors uh, and, and how did you kind of pitch your business? I think that's one way just to, to kind of get that, that knowledge. I think that that'll be super helpful. Um, and now there's kind of the, the formal, you know, process of, of going and actually doing outreach, emailing venture capital funds or emailing high net worth individuals who, who are known to invest in the space. Um, I think that one could be tougher, uh, obviously, right? Cause you're kind of going, going in blind. Are your emails crazy every day? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I'm not getting a ton in, I'm not at that <laughs> level where, where I need to worry about, uh, hey, cleaning gosh. up my email <laughs> with that. <laughs> to whom it may concern. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would love to be, I would love if I got those emails. That'd be uh, you'll great, get one man. shortly from a uh, reading retire. Yeah. No, you don't want to, you don't <laughs> yeah. want to do that. You don't want to oh, drop man. the email. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think I think it'd be great. I mean, there's so much opportunity in the private market, so I'd just love to learn more about it and just, you know, put some more money in that that space. Uh, before we move on, I just want to um, just, uh, I guess, emphasize what you said earlier about the idea of reaching out to people. And I think that's very important for, like, anybody who's listening who's trying to start a business. Like, if you're trying to start a business and you have no way, no really, no real idea on where to get started, reaching out to other people that have done it is probably, um, probably the best thing you can do. Just getting the information is probably what's going to get you started on just, you know, raising the capital. Because if it's pr if you're getting money from like um, other investors, you know, and it's kind of like difficult to have like maybe one path to like just actually get there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, so it depends on, you know, who you're reaching out to. If one person can kind of give yeah. you the all the capital you need or if you need to go out and get, you know, 10, 15, 20 people to kind of give you all, you know, 25K each, it's it's tough. Right? But it's probably similar to, like, maybe um, kind of getting lucky. So you have to, like, try to put yourself in a position where it's you It's a numbers can, game. Yes, yeah. where, where you can be the luckiest, right? Exactly. Because it could just be you bumping dude in the street, maybe your business card's on the floor, he sees it, and then he decides, exactly. you know, you have a conversation, and he decides to put money into your company. Exactly, yeah. No, yeah, I think you're 100% right. Or you're, you know, could be in Mexico, you run into somebody who happens to be an investor in the U.S., right? Like, you yeah. never know don't, where don't, this... Don't, don't tease this, Rash. <laughs> what are you talking <laughs> about? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I think that's a good point. You're right. Somebody sees the shirt, and they're like, oh, my God, read and retire. That sounds interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. Okay, that now that makes sense. It seems like I, I like the either cold kind of cold calling or um, if not or cold emailing or if not, then take and take a look at how you might be able to like reach out to people in your network. I think that's like a good. I think that's a good middle balance um, and a very interesting approach because I do think most people don't really know how to approach doing that. No, but thank you so much for that. And I think the the final question um, you talked about it a little bit, but. Uh, what is the process like how does someone take a company public and why is that important 
um, for building wealth? Like, how does like, I think no, a lot of people don't really know uh, both sides of it. So one thing that I would you talked about how it's important to invest in private companies and how somebody can do that. It's really based on your net worth and what you can offer to the person. Um, and so you have to put yourself in those spaces where you actually know people and are able to build those connections. How does somebody take a, co a company public and why is that such a huge generator of being able to build the kind of wealth that we often don't see in the communities um, that we're from? Yeah. Um, so that's a, it can be a, a pretty complex question if you kind of go into it and mm -hmm. just how to build a company and getting to that, that level. But I guess, at, you know, at just a very high level, the hitting kind of the, the important parts, I would say, you know, once you've created a, an established company, um, I'm sure you've probably taken capital. You've probably, you have investors who all have equity in your company. You probably own a ton of equity in your company, right? And that equity is only worth as much as someone tells you it's worth, right? So there's as much as someone's willing to, to pay you for it. Um, so the great thing about IPOs going public, uh, IPO stands for initial public offering, um, is that it offers you an opportunity to sell your share of equity in your company to the public, to institutional investors, banks, to retail investors like Lando, <laughs> to, you know, to anyone who, who thinks that your company might be worth more later on. So it allows you to, to become a liquid, right? Because you own just a ton of equity in your company. Um, and that's, that doesn't mean anything until you're able to sell it for X price, whatever that price might be. And so the, the IPO, you go in public, allows you to sell it at, at that price. And they tend to be pretty large prices at, at that scale when you're going you know, IPO. Um, and, and you know the reason that is is because you've, you've obviously established a, a good company and you've taken it to a level where you can go public and you, where you think it will be received well by, by public markets. Um, and so it's, it's a decision you have to make whether you want to go IPO or whether you think you can be acquired before then. Uh, that's kind of the, you know, as you're building the company, you need to be thinking about that stuff. Um, how you want to exit, right? How you're going to sell your equity. Is it going to be through acquisition or, or IPO? So essentially your company is worth, I guess, like X, just an unknown value. And then after um, it's until, uh, until uh, you know, when you um, have the IPO, then mm -hmm. it has a value. Is, the, is that what the I investment banks help to figure out? What's your value at? Exactly. That's that's 100%. Right. So the investment banks help in, in creating that valuation and they'll be the ones kind of pitching your company to a bunch of institutional investors to, to buy your stock in the IPO. Uh, so that's kind of what they're doing is just kind of selling, uh, acting as kind of a salesman of your, your equity. Um, and then to your question, Lando, you're, you're so essentially along the way, you're kind of raising capital. And when you raise capital, the investor will give you a valuation, they'll value your company because they're buying part of your equity, yeah. right? So to buy part of your equity, they need to assign a value to your whole yeah, company, so they can buy right? Like exactly, yeah. yeah. So a lot of times what will happen is, you know, as you keep growing, as you get more and more investors, the valuation will rise as you, you know, get more equity or you, as you get more capital and, and, and all that. Um, and so then the IPO is just another one of those events where, you know, you're getting a valuation and selling your equity. So all this time, as you're raising capital, you have a valuation, um, but the valuation only means something when you're when you're selling equity, because then you're getting that that valuation for the company. If that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so um, yeah, you know, it makes sense. I saw recently. I think it was I think it was Nas. I think he had um, invested in Ring. I think it's like the um, doorbell mm -hmm. uh, company, like mm -hmm. camera doorbell company. I, and he, he I was gonna say I saw that. I also think he was big in Coinbase too. Really, very yeah. huge in Coinbase. Yeah, he put like a few. I don't. I think he put like a couple, maybe million, maybe a couple. Yeah. I think he put five million. Yeah. It's what right. it might be it. And then, like you know, once they had they IPO'd, he ended up like netting like like I don't even know twenty times that maybe. Yeah, I think it was fifty million, maybe hundred. Yeah, but like yeah. he obviously he did very well for so himself. So that's, that's like the scale that you know a private investment into like an uh, an IPO can actually exactly. give you. That's a yeah, that's a great example. I mean, okay. That shows you kind of how lucrative it it can be. And obviously it's risky, right? That five million could have went to zero in five years. Sure. But instead, you know, he was, you know, he, it was a shrewd, smart investment and, and it paid off. What I always wondered kind of is like, how are these guys, obviously a, a celebrity who, who has a ton of capital to deploy. I'm not really sure how he's kind of evaluating these investments and how he's getting kind of the opportunity to, to invest. I mean, obviously just having a big name might just draw more investors in, might, you know, draw attention to the company, increase sales, whatever. But I'd be curious if that's kind of the, 
the reason why he invested or, or how I and mean, what that process looks like. I I'm sure he has cool. a guy. I think yeah, um, right? you ever seen like the video on Shaq? I think Shaq talked about how I think it was Google, how they sat him down and they, they were speaking to him about mm-hmm. like Google. I don't know if he actually invested into Google, but it's like I think once you're like up there and like regardless of um, who you are, once you have like enough status, I think people literally come to you. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And I mean, you're if you're an athlete like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, I know these guys are investing in, in software or tech companies too, private tech companies, but like obviously they don't have the time to completely understand the ins and outs of that market. Right? I'm sure they have a guy. They're not yeah. dumb. They're just yeah, basketball players. Exactly. Yeah, they don't have time. They're <laughs> just, time yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, it's it's great if they, you know, if they're being approached and they're making smart investments. That can pay off like crazy, as you've seen with, with Nas, right? Yeah. So, you know, next time your um, friend has a company that he's, you know, trying, maybe he's trying to like fix the little aglets on like sneakers, you know, little <laughs> things, maybe revolutionize them a little bit. You should probably <laughs> listen. Right, maybe get into that private. <laughs> maybe do a little private investing because, you know, it IPOs and then now you made a hundred million dollars. There you go. Yeah. Five to 50 like Nas. Somebody got to do it, exactly. man. I mean, who would have thought a door? bell that's true yeah i mean you never know and i think that when it comes to also like those, those private investments um i think it just goes back to your network um a lot of times like people in your network are doing phenomenal things and it's just a matter of reaching out i don't i know like as an example and it's crazy because i know a lot of times people kind of curve those um mm-hmm. i know gary v talks about it all the time like he's like uber probably sent them like Four emails. Yeah, he curved them twice, invest? I think. Yeah, it was wow. two times, I think, he yeah. didn't invest in, into Uber. Wow. You just get so many emails yeah. when you are up the, at that level. So I can't imagine what, like, these companies. Like, I think Twitter did the same thing. But he actually invested in these. I think Twitter, um, I, I, and I, yeah, I know, like, there are certain companies that would just, like, cold email them essentially very early on. And mm-hmm. he just chose some and didn't choose others. And it's interesting what, how it kind of netted out. But yeah. No, that's crazy. I can't imagine just what that what his email looks like, right? And mm-hmm. how how he has time to evaluate these ideas and be like, this one deserves some capital, this one doesn't. Like, it's it's got to be difficult, right? It's probably like a T Pain's DMs. I don't know if you guys saw that. Video. <laughs> you right. saw that video? Right? I saw that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he realized He's that like, they where had, did these come from? <laughs> they had a different channel, my dude. Yeah. <laughs> was ignoring everybody. Yeah, I know. I thought we haven't had a good T Pain song. I mean, any T Pain song in so long. <laughs> <laughs> just curving just, yeah, yeah, ignoring everybody. Um, no, but thank you so much for the background on on the um on the investment side and your history so far. Um, I think we're good to kind of jump into to the wrap up, the final section, and just talk about s- some business news. Um, and so I think that this wouldn't be a episode with Rosh if we actually didn't talk about cryptocurrency. First of all, it's Crypto Poppy. Crypto Poppy, I don't <laughs> think this would be When crypto's mentioned, he turns into Crypto Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> but because uh, we did such a extensive episode on crypto before, I'll just kind of keep this one um, simple um, and just kind of ask like two questions about crypto. Um, but over the last two weeks, uh, I just read an article that said like over the last two weeks, like 600 billion has been erased from the cryptocurrency market. Um, I think in part because of like, as we talked about speculation, but also I think another big part is I may have shared this article with you, but the environmental impacts of Mm -hmm. mining cryptocurrency, they were saying that, uh, the power that it takes to mine Bitcoin is like the power that it takes to power, like power like three small countries. I think they were like just the same amount of power that it takes to power Sweden and like some other places. Um, what role do you think env- environmentally um, that cryptocurrency will have? Like what impact do you think, what environmental impact, What how, like how do you think the um, environmental impact will affect cryptocurrency? Yeah, so I think it's interesting that, you know, only recently it, it was kind of, came to light about how uh, expensive and how much energy it takes to mine uh, Bitcoin, right? Shout it, out to Tesla. Yeah. And uh, uh, like he, he stopped he's, using it because of that's it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Elon Musk, yeah. yeah. So I'm surprised like if Elon Musk is, he's already, he's known about Bitcoin for some time. I, he, he, I'm sure understands it well. I'm surprised only like recently it's, it's kind of come up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who knows? It's there. Uh, there are a lot of theories on. I don't want to get into them on this on this podcast of what you know, what's going on. And with we don't want those boys after us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, it'll exactly. be a good thing. That means we blew up. Yeah. They get a little, little attention. Or maybe get like you, you get you disappear before we blow up. You know? <laughs> oh, that's oh, true. No. That's oh, true. No. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's kind of surprising that it came to light now. But with that, with that said, um, I think it's I mean, it could. 100% will play a role in the price of, of Bitcoin going forward. I mean, especially with, you know, the 
the amount that our generation cares about the environment, global warming, and all the impacts uh, that, that we've kind of caused on, on the environment, I think 100% it'll, it'll play a role. Now, I don't know to what extent it will uh, really affect the price and if it'll come back up, when it'll come back up. Uh, that's so tough to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also could be, you know, whether maybe it takes two, three months, four months, and people just kind of forget about it, right? It's just the thing about Bitcoin is price fluctuates all based on what people are saying about it. And so if people just kind of lose interest in this environmental story, price might start going up again, right? It's just, it's so crazy to think about. It's just based off what people are saying, what important people are saying. Um, and so it could just take time for people to kind of forget about it. Or it could be, you know, where people, this sticks in their minds and, and the price could be depressed for, for a while. Um, I don't know. That's the thing. You don't, you don't really know where the price is going, which is an obvious statement. But, you know, that's crypto for you. Yeah, it's 100% speculation. Yep. Like you said it before. That's why it's crypto probably. You know it's <laughs> <laughs> and aside from price, do you think that it will also affect adoption? Like, even if the price of it rises, do you think mm-hmm. people are still going to be like, well, this thing costs 50000 60000 It might cost 150 but I'm still not using it because it's killing the, yeah. the, the um, environment. Right? Yeah, that's a great point. I think that's absolutely right. I think it will probably hinder adoption to, to some degree, and that will in return, you know, cause stock price or cause the price of, of uh, Bitcoin to, to stay kind of low. Um, I think it's kind of an optics thing, too, and how just how it looks, right? If you have a bunch of companies starting to accept uh, Bitcoin, then I'm sure a lot of, you know, people who care about the environment are going to start speaking up and saying things. It's not going to look good for that company, right? And so just the optics of it is, is important for companies to, to kind of realize. And so that's one reason they probably won't, you know, accept Bitcoin. But like I said, I, who knows? <laughs> And then just the last question that I kind of had to kind of wrap things up um, with, the, with the business section um, is just what do you think the longevity of, of cryptocurrency is? Um, I We talk about this a lot, but, you know, there are some people who think in a couple of decades, like paper bills won't be a thing. Everybody will have a digital wallet. Um, you know, we'll be able to start buying things online. Like you always think about, like, you know, whether you're a gamer, you'll be able to buy games with crypto. Like you'll be able to, you know, do everything pretty much with it. Um, some people think we're moving to a place where there will be a stable coin and then Bitcoin will be like gold. And so what do you think is kind of like the future longevity and cryptocurrency and where it has a place in our society essentially? Yeah, I think, well, for one, I think we'll definitely have paper currency for the rest of our lifetime. That's my, that's my guess. I think we're too kind of entrenched in that, in that mindset and we rely so much on it. I don't think that's going to leave anytime soon. Maybe in a couple more generations, it could. Shout out to the um, people who still cast your checks at your job. <laughs> you already know. I'll see you guys um, probably next week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Direct deposit? Nah, we got to go to a check cashing place. No, that's yep. true, man. The Asian population um, will probably most likely, at least they will use cash yep. for the rest of their lives. And it's not going to change because if you're cashing checks, you really do not believe in banks. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, so yeah, but I do think that, I mean, digital wallets, I think will become even more kind of relevant in this in next couple of years, next couple of decades. So things like PayPal, I think are huge. Um, so I think those are two good, good points that you mentioned. And then on the, the point of kind of the longevity of, of crypto, um, I mean, once the, the price kind of stabilizes, if it does, that's the only time we'll start seeing greater adoption of it as a, as an actual currency. And I don't know when that will be. I mean, it could be in our lifetime. It, it might not. Um, I think what's kind of the more interesting aspect of, of cryptocurrencies, which is kind of what everyone's already talking about now, is the blockchain technology. And that's, you know, can be super complex, so we're not going to get into it now. We'll do a one-on-one on that soon with yeah. you. Separate, separate time, separate time. Yeah. I will be here. It's too over my head. <laughs> yeah. But the, the technology behind it, I think, is, is super interesting. That's kind of, you're going to see that. Um, permeating a lot more kind of industries and cutting out the middleman and, and you know, just kind of cutting costs and, and different things, different transactions. That's kind of what that blockchain technology does. Um, but the longevity of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin itself, I think it could be here to stay. It's, it's you know, as we kind of move to the digital age, it, it really could present a way for us to, to keep our transactions online and secure. But, you know, like I said, I, I'm not too sure. It's, a, it's all speculation. 
And then I know I said that that was the last question, but <laughs> there's that, that that's never really the last question. I actually <laughs> have a few more. Question but before um, the last question. The um, I think one thing that I would love to get your thoughts on too is just um decentralized exchanges. We talked about that a little bit. Once again, we don't want the big boys coming to us, but <laughs> just um this idea that um we might now be able to do transactions peer to peer in a way where like once we figure out how you know who's sending who money and who people are, then we can kind of remove the, the big boys from some of the transactions that we have when we're buying and selling things mm -hmm. uh, in a marketplace. Um, just I would just love to hear your thoughts on the future of that and um, how you think that might play a role in, I don't want to say the adoption, but maybe the use of cryptocurrency more regularly. Yeah, I think that's a super interesting idea of that, kind of cutting out the middleman and cutting costs. Um, I think there's definitely a, a future there and, and kind of that decentralized exchange. Um, I feel like in our lifetime, we'll see something come up. That's like a space that's just ripe for disruption. Like someone's going to come in and create something that will just make transaction quicker, more secure, um, and, and just cheaper for, for everyone. And so I think that's, that's absolutely huge. Um, yeah. Is, is there anything else I can, I can add on that one? No, nah, I think that that was perfect. I guess my final question would just be, um, what kind of like what's what's next for Rosh and Josh? Like, what are you looking forward to most? I think, uh, in twenty twenty one, and what has been probably your favorite? Um, what are you looking forward to most? Um, if anything, any trips or anything like that coming up? That yeah, you're looking forward to enjoying life while still working hard. Of course, always, always gonna be working hard, uh, building wealth. But no, I mean, now with. You know, being fully vaccinated uh, and taking this trip Hashtag out, to fully vaccinated, <laughs> <laughs> taking this trip out to Mexico. You know, you realize you can still kind of go out and, and have a have a you know good time and blow off some steam, relax, uh, even in this kind of post uh, pandemic era, if you can call it that. Um, so my goal is to take as many trips as possible. Hopefully, take another one in August, uh, and then just keep rolling from there. Hopefully, you know, go on a trip with uh, with you guys and a couple of our college buddies. Uh, just keeping keeping my relationships uh, going. Keeping, you know, making sure we, I stay close to, to the people I care about uh, as, you know, work can be a grind, but nothing's more important than kind of keeping those relationships. That's something I learned in my first job and, and, and now uh, as well. So that's kind of that's kind of the plan is just to, uh, you know, take some trips and then spend time with people I care about. Uh, and oh, another one is move back to, to New York, uh, hopefully in the, next, to New York. in the next month or two. We wait for you. <laughs> open arms. Summer 2021. It's going to be fun. That's right. I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, thanks a lot. Appreciate you. Yeah, so man. You, you you were very informative, man. Uh, every time I speak to you, I feel like I learned something new. <laughs> I feel like the same way with uh, with you, Lando. <laughs> <laughs> why, why you got to lie that's to the people like that? Joke. That's not a joke. <laughs> 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 no, nah, thanks for having me on, guys. So, yeah, it was fun. Um, so, yeah, that was the um, second episode of our podcast. We'll be coming to you guys probably in about uh, two weeks, right, Dave? Two mm -hmm. more weeks. So, as always, um, just check us out on our Instagram. Uh, YouTube will drop clips on Instagram, full episodes on YouTube. And um, we have merch. Yeah, we, have we merch. do. So, whenever you guys, um, you know, feel like supporting Read and Retire, just make sure you check our website out. We have tank tops in case you're going on a trip and you want people to know that you're about this financial literacy <laughs> life. Readingretired.com. And, and um, uh, that's it, I guess. I mean, let's go to Mamacitas.